0: what's up everybody michael johnson here with the business choreography podcast and i'm excited you join me today because we have a very special guest today we are so privileged and lucky to have with us preston brown preston is a serial entrepreneur business owner and expert in disruptive innovation and profitably scaling companies with 18 successful businesses that generate 200 million or more each year in gross revenue preston has advised hundreds of ceos and entrepreneurs on how to grow and scale their companies he's also a sought after speaker with passion for sharing his insights and expertise. Guys, we are so lucky to have him here and to be able to glean his expertise, wisdom, and the crazy journey that is entrepreneurship and business ownership. We're excited to have him. Let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Preston, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's great to have you. That yeah, be Michael. I'm excited after that intro. I, I hope so. That's the goal. That's the goal. We want to get everybody excited and ready to go so that they can get as much as they can out of you. Oh, I'm just teasing. Kind let's choreograph some businesses. Absolutely. Let's do it. So we're going to start with your backstory. Of course, we love to be able to hear the winding crazy journey that got you to this place where you're doing the cool things that you're doing. Of course, we'll jump into all of those things as we go, but let's start from the beginning or at least as, as beginning as you'd like to start with.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm an open book, like my entrepreneurship journey. And then people hear about it all the time at the ending, like, oh, he's doing hundreds of millions in revenue. Yay. It's really (laughs) easy to judge a story by the ending. I mean, right. You you hear it from the beginning. It's a little bit of a different story. And 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 before I even say that, like, let me say this, like, if you hear hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, revenue is vanity, profits is sanity. So make sure you ask some good follow-up questions to vet that you might actually be talking to somebody that knows it. But my story, it, it starts when I was a kid. I grew up in the most amazing home, great mom, great dad, loving family, love was the meaning of life, just perfect, right, but we grew up poor. And one day my dad got fed up with the life we watched on TV, not the one we had in the little trailer park outside of El Paso in this little town called Kenyatio. <laughs> and if you haven't seen Kenyatio, like here's El Paso, and there's Kenyatio, it's over there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love the place, but it was, uh, you know, not exactly the fanciest place to grow up. And, you know, my dad was a typical entrepreneur. He, he started out, he had an idea, a metallurgical engineer by trade, if not education, and he made stuff like he made stuff for people. And the guy went in a little tin shed in the El Paso heat, like outside of our trailer and get lathe and all this other equipment. And he would make things. So there was a guy that had a fancy car that didn't want to go buy a part from Porsche. He'd go make the part and, you know, design it all this. Eight AM, 8 PM working tirelessly slave to the business. And just a giver. Beautiful guy. And didn't understand fundamentals, you know, like a lot of us, especially when we start out. It's it's a science. There's no secret to it. There's a science. There's a whole lot of secrets. You got to kind of compile them all together, right? And uh, he didn't understand billing, charging, collecting. And he had that giving heart. And uh, people worked him like crazy. And, of course, what happens in a poor family is mom loses her job somewhere two or three months in. And, and I remember the fight. I, I don't remember all the words that were said, but I, I remember the frying pan gets thrown across the room. And you know, that got our attention. That's a real good clencher. You know, we want to start some marketing. There's your clencher, wakes everybody in the room up. And I remember saying, A real man can feed his family. Collect what your are or don't come home. And here's this guy, like you know, he's he's six foot four, broad shoulders. I should probably disclose he's my stepdad, not my dad. I didn't get those shoulders, right? Like, but this guy's my hero. Like Six foot four, broad shoulders, member of Mensa, beautiful guy, genius, hard worker, like literally the pick, right? Like the perfect dude. And and here's my mom, this 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 embodiment of love and joy and brilliant woman, psychology background. She'd always say, "Figure out the game, you learn how to win. Figure out the game, you learn how to win." She made me very scientific in nature, but he um uh, he he made me passionate because that's what he was. And I'm watching my hero just get like attacked by my mom, who's also somebody that i had this abundant love for and i got to be the charity piece i drove up to a house not far from where we live now and and uh, i rode up with him in his old uh, ford truck and meet this guy all about five foot nine my dad could kill him with a napkin if he wanted to and and i know exactly what's going to happen like, my dad's going to demand the road we're going to get the world we're going to go home and everything's going to be fine Except that's never how it ends right like he started there but it, it went to this Thing, this negotiation piece, this kind of hustle in the middle. And this far more savvy man got my dad negotiating with himself, shoulders that were strong and back kind of eventually started going forward negotiating went to eventually asking. And next thing, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to say begging. I don't think my dad ever begged, but it, it was, it, you can see the desperation. And I'm, I'm a little kid. I'm seven, eight years old. And I'm, I'm watching this guy. And while my dad's compromising, and I'm watching watching him compromise his dreams, compromise the future, I realize he wants to go home. He wants my mom, he wants us. And my mom was never a woman that wasn't serious, accepts a lot of cash out of this guy's pocket. I learned a new emotion, I learned hatred. I I, I mean, thank God I didn't, but if I had a gun, I could have killed that man with no remorse that day, no problem. And uh, I, I remember just this, like, Gut wrenching feeling, and I started thinking. And you know, we drove down to the Albertsons, picked up a box of almond noodles that's probably the amount of money he got. He was owed thousands in the 80s back when that meant something, and he, he didn't, he probably didn't get 150 bucks. And uh, I'm trying to talk to him the whole time, he wouldn't talk back. And that watching my hero go from this like, guy, you can see a little tear every now and then, and you could see him giving up. I, I shifted my beliefs. I went from money is or love is the meaning of life to money. is the meaning of life. I watched this guy use money to turn my dad into something that I, I never be, I could never be what he made my dad into. And I didn't care if I was loved. I didn't care if I was feared, but I was never going to be controlled by money. So money became my God and controlled me. I, I, I became very transactional. I worked nonstop. I, uh, You know, grew up, built businesses, had my first business uh, selling, painting driveways in high school. I was making a few grand a week and all my other buddies would go get a job making five bucks an hour. And uh, you know, grew up, built companies, became rich. Became rich and became a terrible husband and uh, money was the meaning of life. And One day in 2019, dad sat down in his favorite chair and sins of the father, sins of the son, right? I'd spend my entire life with that sin becoming my own. He went to sleep and didn't wake up. He went, my hero, the man that I'd uh, worked my entire life to solve the problem he had when I was seven, left. And I didn't get to do with all that money what I intended. I didn't spend time with him. And I learned to hate again. I learned to hate not just for myself for not spending time with him, but for him for leaving, for God for taking him. And uh, it, it was probably the most painful time in my life. It was also the best moment of my life because it taught me who I'm supposed to be. It took me back to those younger years. It took me back to love is the meaning of life. It took me back to simpler ideas like expectations are the mother of all suffering and you can't understand suffering unless you've had it. And If you want to measure love, there's only one way. It's called unconditional love because you must love beyond your conditions. So the only way is to suffer. And so through hate, I was able actually to stop and, and, and and realized that, oh wow, I can find a little more of that little kid that I lost and what I really want. And I wanted time. And I remember being in the house where where he was he was gone, the body was there, he was gone, my family's are broken. I'm looking at my mom, I'm looking at my sister, and I'm looking at everybody there, and I'm like, fuck, this is what I want. Like I want these people, I want, I want my loved ones. And I had all these formulas, figure out the game, mom said, learn how to win, figure out the game, learn how to win. This was my first time where I didn't have a game that I could win. There was no way to win this game. And uh, I started converting formulas. Formulas went from how do you scale a business, how do you grow a business, to how do you automate. And you know what, Michael, go figure. You you learn how to automate something, it actually becomes an asset. When it becomes an asset, it actually has value. So I, I accidentally, because you want to make you know, gotta laugh, tell them your plans. You want to make them smile, laugh with them. want to make them cry, good tears of joy. Walk them out in the shoes he puts you in, and you might find out who you are. And, uh, I learned that automation is what truly makes a company valuable. And I don't care where your company's at. If you know where it's truly at, if you know how to kind of choreograph the moves on where to go and how to get there, then, then you are not just the being that's driving it, but you're, 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 Experiencing the becoming of what it can be and the energy of how you can bring it, if that makes sense. So that's, exactly. that's how I became the entrepreneur. Uh, but really, I think entrepreneur is kind of a funny word. It's, I really just became a problem solver. I'm just probably a glutton for pain. I love <laughs> suffering. It's the only way you can measure love. So I, I, I have a few fundamental beliefs that I'll give you, and they're so easy. And if people adopt them, they'll get really, it's that simple. One, problems are gifts. You think God doesn't talk to you? Yeah, he does. He gives you problems. And if you study your Bible and study your life and study things you love, maybe you should study your problems because when you understand something at a deeper level, you have far more power. Two, I think religion is a great way of trying to avoid hell. It's all fraught with rules, but I think spirituality is going there and coming back from there victorious. And uh, three, I think ownership is not about possession. Ownership is about responsibility. Responsibility is about possession. And anything you're not responsible for will possess you. And that's why most people on this planet are possessed by thoughts that are not of their own. I love
0: that. I love that. Talk to me a little bit more about, yes. let, we're going to go back a little bit and uh, and dig into a few of the things that you mentioned. One of them that, that I love and, and we teach the same thing, automation makes a company truly valuable. When we go to invest in companies or, or acquire, the companies that have less automation or worth less in their valuation, and sometimes they're surprised and super taken aback. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean it's worth less? Look, it's earning this much, and I said, yeah, but if you're gone, it's gone (laughs) too. (laughs) (laughs) i'm not buying or acquiring a job right exactly so talk to us a little bit about the automation side i feel like it's a word that's thrown around a lot in today's internet uh, climate but i i feel like there's a lot of people that really don't understand what that means what that automation is and what it means to have that in their business
1: yeah so let me let me let me go through what an automated business is. Okay, an automated business is something that doesn't need you. That's one. Now, to get to automation, you have to realize there's a journey. There is a point A to point B. There is a there's a map. Okay, like like you have to choreograph the steps across the map. Right. You might want to become a cartographer too, so you can figure out how to draw it. Right. And so, I've found that I've identified seven stages. Within the entrepreneurship journey. Okay. Like one, there's the entrepreneur stage. And if, if you want to imagine like a staircase with seven steps, the entrepreneur has a mindset issue. Okay. These are the main problems the entrepreneur solves. And if you're walking up a staircase, give you a simple analogy, you're not going to stand on one step. If everybody's trying to figure out, like, oh, well, what's my identity? Well, your identity is not linear, it's a lot more dynamic. And your entrepreneurship journey is the same way. Like I have seen people in the largest companies go and stand on that entrepreneur step and have mindset issues because they had a divorce or there was a death in the family or something changed in their world. that was such a shock to their framework on reality and their rules or religion that they had, that they didn't know how to go to hell, conquer, and come back. Does that make sense? Like like the entrepreneur game is a spiritual game. It's a spiritual journey. So step one is entrepreneur. And, And if you're in the startup phase or that early business, like, yes, solve the mindset issues, step two is in startup startup, the next problems that we generally jump into is there's three P's. There's a litmus test that I like to use for a business. Is it productive? Okay. Is it profitable? Or if you haven't started yet, you have a model for profitability. Does it cost 10 bucks to make you sell it for 15, whatever, like I don't care how simple the model, but there has to be a model. So productivity, profitability, and last, is it your purpose? And, and, and that's maybe one of the most important ones. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain it every guru I've ever talked to. And I've, I've met most of them. We'll say, oh, you've got to hustle your way to success. And, and you know, everybody, if they're watching, I hope they put their fingers in and out of their ears a few times. Great. Yay. Do that real quick. Now you don't have virgin ears and I can be authentic and real. And you'll remember. Okay. If you have a business, you should love that passion is cause purpose is Cause hustle is a fact. Okay. So if you're hustling your way to success, you will become exhausted. Okay. So let's see what happens on the litmus test. We remove any of the three P's let's remove purpose. Okay. It's an investment. All right let's remove profitability. Okay. It's a hobby. Let's remove productivity. Well, if it's profitable and it's your purpose, you're a con artist. Great job. You know? So like you have to figure out the three P's and I look at people when they're trying to sell me. I also look at like people when they're trying to start a business, I'll be like, oh, it doesn't really sound like one of the P's. Like we need to really adjust you. So startup is this race for cash. You generally have an idea. It's your purpose. You figure out a profitability and a productivity model, and then you take it to the market. And you get feedback and the race for cash comes. If you receive the feedback, well, you don't get offended. You don't get insulted. You move to the next phase. Operational entrepreneur. Operational entrepreneurs are ones that are like, wow, I created enough value to deserve some money in a regenerative growth model that like I'm able to do. Does that mean that it's something you can scale because you have a team? No, it's still a spectator sport. Now your problem is we need to make this a team sport. We need to get out of managing by crisis. We need to not fall into the trap of... Hey, you know what? I had so much success creating my own job. Cause that's where you are. You're in management by crisis. You're in what we call business slavery that, Hey, I did so well creating my own job here. We all fall into the idea of, oh, there's another opportunity here. And so um, you know, I had to go backwards to go forwards. Don't recommend it. A lot more painful going backwards, but operational entrepreneur, you're like, not a spectator sport. It's a team sport. So I need to start adding some team members. You need to start, you know, optimizing little details. Like you might get a secretary, you might get an office, you might get an insurance. So you're you're going from, I need to remove exceptional because you had to be exceptional to get in, but no different than Pavlov's dogs. If you were rewarded for something, rewarded for something, rewarded for something, this is an interesting point. You will no longer be rewarded for being exceptional. Now you have to move to optimization. And so this is where it's starting to become that teams where you're starting to grow. You graduate to what's called entrepreneur. Once you get what I call a DO, I love it because it spells do. And the D O is this middle management person, director of operations. That is your do. And I call the D O because I don't like the word manager. I think manager is a really stupid word. I think if you are a manager and that's your title, the presupposition is you're better than everybody else there. And every manager is actually just a measurer. And so I want them to do measurements. Okay? And so at that point, you're an entrepreneur. Congratulations. You have an asset. It's automated at least to a point. Now here's the problem. Okay. We're only at step four, and if you're an entrepreneur and you scaled this up and hopefully you did it very quickly, right? You now have a team, you now have an office, you have all these problems, you have all these expenses, which means all the same revenue you brought in from an operational entrepreneur to entrepreneur, especially did it quickly. Doing it slowly creates a horrible culture of laziness. Doing it quickly creates a huge pay cut. Used to make a lot of money, now you have to pay all these people, this insurance, this office, all that. So, you must master the art of scaling. So, to learn scaling, it's so easy. Scaling is so easy and it's four simple steps. Okay. One, once you've brought in all these people, this office, this stuff, you have a team, you just scaled your capacity. That was literally what you did. You scaled your ability to handle more throughput. Okay. So you can do more leads, more sales, more deals, get more cash, the four flows of capacity. You can do all four, very simple. You have a bigger team. So now what you need to do is scale sales. Okay. And here's a quick marketing, sales, branding hack. If they get nothing but three things, these things will make you worth tens of millions. Uh, It's taken me to hundreds of millions. I highly recommend it. You want to market anything? Find out what they want. Shit, give it to them. You want to sell anything that they want? Find out who they want you to be. Go become that. Give it to them. You want to brand something to them? What is the brand? People only buy two things. One, their identity. I'm not going to sell a Harley Davidson to somebody that is pedaling up and down a mountain. Okay, i want to sell Harley Davidson to a Harley Davidson writer, okay? People buy their identity or they buy a way out of pain, okay? So let's be real. Find out what their story is. Tell it back to them in a way that you solve for their identity or solve their pain. And I love the identity ones because luxury margins come from luxury products, which come from selling identity, win, win, win. Okay, so once you learn scaling sales, which is, you know, find out what they want, marketing, find out who they want, become it. Then it's just this regenerative growth model. You've got to go look at all the different returns. You're looking, you know, return on what's called marketing cost of customer acquisition. Then you need to go scale brand. Okay. Now, what is brand? By the way, when you're scaling brand, it's so easy. It's feedback. It's feedback. I'm talking to all the customers that bought from me saying, hey, why'd you buy from me? I'm talking to all the customers that didn't buy from me. Hey, did you buy? Oh, great, 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 great. Why'd you buy from them? What was it that I didn't have? And I'm using those little things to boom, 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 boom. and I'm showing you my care and I'm generally giving them something like, hey, you know what? Thanks, man. Here, I'm sending you a little bottle of champagne, you know, or I'm sending you a little gift card. Thanks for taking 10 minutes with you. I'm the owner, personal touch, and this is branding, okay? And as you're going, you're improving your model, you're also talking to them, you're showing them your care Guess where they're referring people now. Even the ones that bought from other places are referring you. So it's like scaling sales price. Then you scale the next thing, which is called margin. You know how you do this? And I'll tell you a fun story with it. Uh, raise the price. So okay. COVID hit, I bought a home building company. We were a small business. Um, all the builders freaked out. They're all like, it's 08.0 all over again. And you know why they do that? It's because they remember the last time, Right. right. Like, What's happening? Yeah. I'm like, well, it's exa- exactly nothing. And so I looked at data, which should be the largest asset on your balance sheet. Also, you know what a balance sheet is? If not, message me on social media. I'll inform you what a balance sheet is. But it should be the largest asset on your balance sheet. Like your data is key. And I looked at like the multiple listing service, and I was like, "Wait a minute! All the resales are coming off the market." Okay, and I know that supply and demand has only existed when humans are behaving in a capital environment forever, and and it's always the guiding force. And so I was like, "Huh, less inventory, more valuable." And so I started more houses, and I, you know, funny, I was right, and and I could build 20 months. That was my entire capability, and I started selling 30. Month. 40 months, 60 months. So I started raising prices. Over about six months, I think I raised the prices of about 150. I was hearing everyone list that and the other other builders raise their earnest money. Some builders just turned customers away, which sent them to me, and they paid a lot more money with me. Then all of a sudden, like overnight, like lumber triples in price, every other material goes, your supply chain issues, uh, like politicians start talking, and by the way, politics. Poly multiple tick blood sucking arachnid. So let's understand what they really are. Okay, like, so so anyway, but, but if you're if you're hearing it from them and you're really late, you should have got it from your dad way before that, right? So like and and all of a sudden all the guys were like corporate greed. Like now my margins were the same percentage that they were before. So I got this really nice margin boost for about six months. Then it went up. Then I became like the only builder for about six or eight months, and I became the largest builder. And all of the guys now said, oh, he's a genius because I opened my eyes and looked at what the market looked like. If you're driving, you're going to look at what the road looks like. Look at the market. Anyway, so that's operational, um, Megapreneur. Once you learn the, the, the four parts of scaling, you go sales, brand, margin, rate price, and then you go back to capacity. And this is where you're constantly measuring your DOs should help you eventually. Um, and we'll get into the next step, which is Megapreneur. And there's only two more steps. It's so easy. It's only seven steps. Like, like most staircases in your house have like 20. You know, so set, you know, but as you're going back, you're getting back to capacity, right? You sail capacity again, and you're gonna see who's doing a great job. Okay, well, that guy he's gonna get promoted, he's gonna train the other people. Uh, do we need to add more of this person? Do we need more of this? Do we need so you go back to capacity and you're leaving a regenerative growth model at the level it's at in every stage? Boom, 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 boom. And you do the four, okay? Leave it where it's at, make sure it's balanced, and what you'll see is top line goes up, expenses a little bit, top line up again, expenses a little bit. Top line up again, expenses a little bit. One day, as you're repeating this cycle, by the way, the whole time, you're getting richer. It was just really cool. Uh, one day you're going to see top line go up, expenses a lot. Leaky buckets. It, it, this is not a bad sign. This is The world didn't change. Nothing went wrong. It's just like you had a plate that was only so big, and the food started falling off, because you were piling more food on. All it means is it's time to replace yourself. You can no longer promote from within. You need to start getting C-suite executives. You have a very big company. You're probably doing 25 million plus in revenue now. Congratulations, you're a genius. You're entering what's called Megapreneur. Megapreneur is where you really get to feel rich. You're going to start with either a CFO or a COO. Do not promote from within. Do not make this mistake. I know there's always that person that's like, well, I can trade one. Cool. It'll take you an extra 10 years. You're going to live to be 80 or 100. That's 10% or more. Gone. You're a moron. So find somebody in this horrible cutthroat corporate culture, bring them into your warm, loving, small business culture, because you're in this weird convergence. They're going to bring structure, rules, discipline, all that, that, that normally you would have had to have sold yourself. And they're going to get a better place to work in an amazing culture in this kind of company that's in limbo in, the, in this ship. And so you start adding your C-suites. Do not promote a CEO. EO when you have 10 employees, CEO stands for chief executive officer. I see this so many times. Like if you're one of the small businesses, you have chief executive officer and you have 10 employees. And my question is, are all nine of the others executives wake up? Don't do that. Like you, you, you are the CEO Okay. eventually like i still, okay. I'm doing hundreds of millions in revenue. I have a co-CEO. She's my CEO. Oh, she's amazing. She owns 3000 apartments with me. I stole her from another company. I actually bought another company together. I, I trained her, but well, some. I stole her like so she's not even a real example of the other thing and she's taken five years to develop but long story short i'm still the ceo i'm still the ceo and that's okay because most of my businesses you got to look at businesses like people like if i have a startup it's like a newborn i'm not going to schedule diapers yeah. your big businesses are like 35 40 year old businesses you're only going to show up if they get sick if they get married if they're on a holiday whatever so that's where you kind of want them but your COO, FO, all your other operational uh, C-suite executives are, are going to be what makes you a megapreneur. But now you have a new problem. You have one last problem. It's terrible. You have a new business partner. His initials are IRS. In every other stage, you've had these pesky little things called expenses. You used to hate them. Now you're wondering why he's taking 40%. Well, how come all my billionaire friends donate money to political campaigns? Oh, they're not they're, they're not just being charitable. Like you could do a lot more overseas. Like, I mean, we could put like shoes on every child in all of Peru for like a hundred grand or something. Uh, You can't even put a dent in the bucket. If you go to the RNC or the DNC, remember poly tips, multiple blood sucking rats, right? So they're all fat. Now, what are they doing? It's like, if you go buy an airplane today, you get an 80% bonus depreciation. Don't ask me, ask your accountant. If you go by multifamily, there's 80% bonus depreciation. There's all sorts of new solar and wind Broke People spend their money, middle-class save their money. Rich people invest their money, live out of their assets later. And that's how you get to investor point. there's a lot more on this journey. I've got, I've given you guys like one page of like my formulas, but like there's seven stages. And as you go through every one of the seven stages, like anyone can take a company from zero to $50 million, a hundred million dollars in a few years. Anyone can like, if you're working with people. We operate the same way. Like we expect value. <laughs> we understand we give money for it. <laughs> like, you know, like anyone can do this, but if you're trying to go from point A to point B in a straight line's the best direction. Nobody does that to be fair. But like, if you're doing the, the thing that they draw all over the map and all this, and you're going around it 14 times and eventually coming back, yeah, it could take you 60 years to build a company or you could do it in five or three. Like, look, business is a get-rich-quicksy. It really is. It takes you 10 years to get really, really, really rich. And I know know there's always that one person, oh, money won't buy you happiness, but poverty is also a really stupid idea. So to you out there, if you're going to put your hate out there, could you also maybe put some logic with it because it's dumb? Oh, all right. Sorry, Michael. I go on rants.
0: Well, I mean, this is, it's an incredible framework and I love frameworks. I am so excited that you shared that with us. And I can only imagine that you have so many more that you could share with us. And so how can our listeners be able to get in touch with you and find you so that they can learn more of the frameworks and learn more of the cool processes that you have? Because I, I know there's going to be some people that want to connect.
1: So there's a couple ways right now, just, I mean, follow me on social media. Uh, I've always been the business guy behind the scenes. I've never been the guy on social media. I actually started just, <clears throat> year and a half ago, and I just hired a social media gal to put all that out there. And she kind of said some, some things that I think you were kind of mentioning earlier. Uh, So we're filming all of my content. We're putting it in 15 different simple documents for how you can master culture, clarity, capacity, and cash. How you can learn to harness the only six things that can change in a business price, product, people, place, promotion, and process. Through the four pillars, which are the culture, clarity, capacity, and cash to achieve this magical thing called efficiency, which only comes when you master alignment, simplicity, and foresight. And and so two very optimal energy things which kind of sharpen each other because you can't improve alignment without compromising simplicity and you can't improve simplicity without compromising alignment. And then there's an exceptional one, foresight, it's sort of like one mouth, two ears listen twice as much as you talk, but I, I, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to have that available. If you follow me on social media, you'll get the announcements. It's all coming out towards the end of the year. And it's so easy. I think we're, we're going to basically give away a problem solving formula and these seven stages formula. And that that's going to be free. So you'll get like what you got here plus a little more free. And then if you want certain things to solve problems, I'll be like 200 bucks each. I think you buy all of them for a thousand dollars or something like that. The the other thing I'm going to do is, and and this is something that we're starting next year, I literally have realigned my next year to do this, is we're going to start doing three-day events. And these events are so easy. They're so fun. Guarantee you, if you don't walk out with millions of dollars in value in a three-day event where we're just going to data dump this into you in a full immersion business time so that you get all of it, take your money back. Like at any point, walk up and say, you know what? I don't see it. It's not real. Take your money back. Every single person that comes to that event is going to walk out having all of the secrets. of Obviously, I'd love to teach you how to become a billionaire. I can't do that yet. Give me a few years. But all my social media and my website are the Preston Brown. Follow me there and that's and, and ask questions. Like we respond, the Preston Brown. Happy to help with anything. One, I mean, money is so easy to make. Like, I mean, it's it's the simplest thing on this planet like you know even even jesus was rich man my buddy jeremy Newsom opened this up to me the other day like you know all these places that tell you oh you know money's evil your churches and your governments there they seem to also want it all yet jesus the day he was born uh received three magi that brought gold frankincense and myrrh right isn't that weird they brought gold frankincense and myrrh you know what the standard gift of gold was back in those days it was 50 pounds for a mediocre king you know you know those guys were compelled by angels. You think they brought the standard gift? No, in fact, biblically, they even showed up and uh, they, they they talked to that King Herod guy, right? And he got so triggered by what he saw and what they said that he decided to kill all the firstborn sons. What? Must have been a lot of money. Jesus was rich. Guys, it's not money that's evil, it's the love of money. You know, I think you have an ethical obligation
0: to go get so rich that you can help everyone out there that you think needs help. Go do it. I love it. I love it. Well, that's awesome. Preston, I am so excited that you came and joined us today. And we appreciate you taking the time we know you're, you're busy rocking it. And, uh, and we're excited to have you here sharing your wisdom and knowledge and journey with us. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Any last words of wisdom you can leave us with before we head out? Yeah, yeah. And what just one little thing, one little tidbit. it's, It's fine. You
1: know, what's better than a miracle. Not needing one. You know what's better than that? What? Getting one anyway. It's called a blessing. And the more successful you are, the more you go out and do that be fruitful and multiply thing, the more the ability you have to not only receive blessings, but create flow and be the blessing for people all around you.
0: I love that. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thank you for listening today. And, of course, keep choreographing your business. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you, Preston. And we'll see you guys next time.